Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Good morning. I began with a quote from Ernest Holmes from this this book that we're using this month, which I highly recommend, highly recommend. This is sort of like, almost like the Reader's Digest condensed version of the text of the Science of Mind textbook. It's very user-friendly, it's very easy to read, it gives examples. He instructs you on what to say and when to say it. That's my favorite part. It is, I know. If you wish to know the truth about your business or your profession, know that it is an activity of good. Excuse me. It is an activity of your partnership with the infinite. The business of life is to be happy, active, and whole. To express the divine life with joy and fulfillment. Lift the load of personal responsibility by transferring it to the law of perfect action. No matter what confronts you, what obstructions appear, or what undesirable situations exist in your experiences, this law can dissolve them. This law knows neither big nor little. It's like nature's law of gravity, which holds a feather to the surface of the earth and also holds the mountain. It does not say, behold, I am strong in one place and weak in another. It does not ask you to weigh the mountain or the feather. Throw a small pebble over a cliff and at the same time roll a giant boulder into space. Each will find its way to earth. The law of gravity works automatically on big and little. And just for clarification, when we talk about the law in this philosophy, we're talking about essentially that thoughts are things and that as you think things, um, a seed gets planted And when you do that consistently with the same thought, the same seed, that that's what you bring into your experience. And that the law does not say, does not question you and say, you sure you want to do that? Because that just didn't work out last time. Um, Do you really mean what you just thought? You know, it, it doesn't do that. It's automatic. And it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, what color you are, where you grew up or any of that. It works the same for everybody. That's what we mean by by the law. And so this morning I am talking about, well, ostensibly I'm talking about um, myself, my life, my work. What I'm talking about is who are you, really? And does who you are depend on where you are? Does who you are depend on who you're hanging out with? Does who you are depend on if you're with your family, your birth family, your current family? They might be the same, they might not. Um, at work, at church, with friends, who are you? Are you the same person or are you a different person in different environments with different people? Because most of us have all those environments. We have the people that we live with. We have the people we grew up with. We have uh, the people that we work with. We have the people maybe we socialize with. Um, We have the people at our spiritual community. Sometimes those are the same. Sometimes they're different. And so we move from one of those environments to another. We move from one group of people maybe to another. And who's moving? 
Is it the same person, or do we make adjustments as we deem um, necessary and appropriate? Are we ourselves in some situations and maybe somebody else in other situations? Um, one person at home, another person at work. I have a grandson who I dearly love, who everyone in the outside world thinks is just the sweetest boy and an absolute angel, and just they just adore him, and he's so kind, and he's so loving, and that's not how he's showing up at home at all. <laughs> so to what extent do we do that, and do we adjust who we are, depending on who we're with, and do we see ourselves as different people even? In different, depending on who we're with. Are we like chameleons or something? You know, we just kind of absorb what's around us. And I think often the answer is that we are different, uh, that we do not show up um, as ourselves all the time. Maybe um, we've been doing that adjusting for so long that we don't know who ourselves is, maybe. And I'm asking myself then, as I am wont to do, um, what would we have to believe about ourselves, about the world, and how things work in order to be okay with who we are in any situation, in any group of people? And obviously, um, with a significant other, with children, um, hopefully with parents, although not always, um, you know, there's a level of intimacy that you don't find everywhere. You might not find that in your work environment, or you might. But what I'm talking about is the essence of who you are, the essence of who we are. Are we comfortable in our own skin so that we can be who we are regardless of where we are? Ernest Holmes said that if we want to know the truth about any activity, we should know that it's the activity of good. And that is based upon the belief that there's only one thing, as Star said in her prayer, there's only one thing, and um, regardless of what you call it, I call it God, but you can call it whatever you want, it doesn't care. There's only one thing, and it's everything. And so that means that everything is made up out of that one thing. So that all of the qualities that we could attribute to that thing that I call God um, are the truth of me, and they're the truth of everybody. And so then that means that any activity is also the activity of the divine because it's all there is. So it's an activity of good, an activity of the divine, and that means that all activity is that. So that means whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're in your car, you're engaged in divine activity. And that means that it's another opportunity, regardless of what activity that is, for you to show up for you to bring the truth of you into, into every interaction that you have, into every location that you have. And so obviously it's about relationship, isn't it? Because life is about relationship. And relationships have that way of showing us where our stuff are, is. Stuff, yeah. Doesn't it? I mean, people talk about that in, uh, in uh, significant relationships, for instance. Um, Undefended Love, the book, has a whole bunch of stuff about that very thing, about the idea that any relationship we're in is essentially a mirror for what's going on with us. And that any relationship that we are involved in, um, the other person is there by divine invitation. Um, we have invited them in. And we may not know that, but that in truth is what's happening. And as we move about 
in different situations with different people, in different relationships, how are we showing up? Do we feel like we have to be different in different relationships? Um, and I'm wondering, wouldn't it be great to feel at ease regardless of where you were or regardless of who was there? And wouldn't it be wonderful to move through every aspect our li in our lives with a sense of who we are and being at ease, at peace with that? Just being at peace with that. And if God is, and we believe that it is, unlimited wholeness and perfection and intelligence and creativity and abundance and all that stuff, we could name everything, then God is without limits. And there is no limitation to God. And since that God is everything, then that means we don't have any limits either. There are no limitations to us other than the ones we place on ourselves. So we are um, divine beings. We are manifestations, we are expressions of the divine. And we are having this human experience. So we are divine beings having a human experience, and the human experience seems to involve um, varying degrees of anxiety and suffering and pain. And much of that, I think, can be attributed to a message that we got a long time ago, which is any or all of the above. Um, the world is a scary place. Um, the world is not safe. There are bad people that do bad things and there's something wrong with us. Which isn't a great thing to be hauling around, but um, that's what most of us have, have gotten. And so we have learned um, that there are things about us that we best not reveal or that we best tamp down. Um, we don't want to be uh, too loud um, or if we're really quiet, we need to be louder. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, that if we're used to expressing ourselves openly and easily, we need to, we need to just dial it back just a little bit. Um, it's not all about us. Um, we don't want to appear too big for our britches or any of that stuff. Um, or maybe you just need to fly under the radar because there's something inherently wrong with you. And if you're really quiet, no one's going to notice that. Any of that stuff. And yet, we have this other thing that teaches us that we're expressions of this perfection that is that I call God. So how do you how how do you do that? How do you how do you apply what we teach? In other words, and how does that translate into the human experience? How does that translate into our own lives? Um, we as religious scientists have these sayings sometimes that we just just kind of roll off our tongue without thinking about it. I think I hope. Um, because we do teach that there is only one thing and that it's everything and that it's inherently there's a perfection and a wholeness and so on and everything. And so one of the things that some people that just rolls off our tongues, oh, well, it's all God. Oh, it's all good. That's true. And yet not. Because that's not always the experience that we are having, is it? That's not always the experience we're having. And it's really hard to say uh, that we are perfect in the face of a physical illness, isn't it? It's really challenging to say, oh, we live in an abundant universe when your universe doesn't look like that just then. Um, it's hard to remember that the unlimited intelligence of the entire universe and universes and beyond uh, lives in me as me when I just started a new job and I just feel dumb as a post. 
I mean, it's, it's hard to know that it's hard to remember all that stuff in the face of, um, the human experience that might not look like that, that might not be like that. And it's hard to affirm harmony when you're in a job from hell or you're dealing with the client from hell or the boss from hell or whatever. And I realize I just said hell twice and I'm going to say it again in a second. Except I'm not. I'm just going to quote somebody who said it. Our founder, Ernest Holmes, said that if you wish to live in heaven, you have to forget hell. And it could be hard to do that when it feels like that's where you're living. Can it not? But just because it seems hard doesn't mean it can't be done. I'm here to tell you it can. And we have the tools and we know how to do that. It can be hard and yet it can be done. And it takes two things, I think, probably more than two things, but I can only remember two of them right now. (laughs) One of them is that we have to believe that there is a power for good in the universe and we can use it. We have to believe that the universe is for us. We have to believe that God's got our back, if you will. We have to believe that. And then we have to notice what goes on in here when we're not looking, when we're not paying attention. And I asked uh, my colleague, and she said it was okay to tell you this, um, I know someone who does that. She views her inner landscape like a theater marquee. You know, and it goes there and it tells you what's going on. Or you could do it like a CNN, that LED crawl thing, where it you know, has this stuff going on. Some people experience this as a voice in your head. You all know what I'm talking about, right? It's that stuff that goes on. That left unattended runs us and informs how we live, what choices we make, how we view ourselves, how we view the world, all of that. And we need to be aware of that. We need to practice listening to the voice in our head. We need to practice looking at our marquee. We need to become acquainted with what goes on here. Because if we don't pay attention to that, then we believe it. It goes unquestioned. And Ernest Holmes, our founder, has a great way of dealing with that in this book. He gives you instructions literally. Literally. He will say, in one place he says, When thoughts or fear or discouragement assail you, turn to them quietly and say, You have no place in me. And then he goes on to tell you, do this, say this. And then he tells you what to say. Um, Well, that's a practice, right? I mean, that's a spiritual practice. And I don't know about you all, but I've been in this philosophy for over 20 years. When I first landed in in this stuff, I didn't have all that at my disposal. All I had was the stuff that I'd always had, which is what got me there in the first place. So I didn't want to use that again. Um, So it's a spiritual practice, um, learning how to do that. And at first, maybe use somebody else's words. And Ernest Holmes is a very good instructor. He literally says, turn to this and say this. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Because here's what. If that marquee, if that thought, if that voice in your head is saying anything other than lifting you up, affirming life, uh, filling you with passion and with love and with um, fire, then it's probably not true. And we might need to replace it. Ernest Holmes said that you exist, that divine feeling, fire, imagination, and creativity may be expressed through you. 
That's why you're here. And that does not depend upon where you are. It doesn't depend upon the company you keep at any given moment. It doesn't depend on anything that's ever happened with you to you up until this moment. It doesn't depend on diddly. It's just the truth. You exist that divine feeling, fire, imagination, creativity may be expressed through you. And that's what we are. And what we think doesn't change that. Thank God. What we think, what we believe, changes our experience. It doesn't change the truth. There is that spark of the divine, and I point here because that's where physiologically I think of it, but obviously it's not a physical place. There is something in us that knows who we are, that calls us to remember who and what we are, that has never been changed in any way. We came in and we will go out with that same thing. It's always, always, always there. That's the truth of us. And so what we think doesn't change that. What we believe doesn't change that. What we think and what we believe does, however, change our experience. It does. Because we act as if what we're thinking is true. We believe it. And thoughts build on thoughts. Uh, the more you think about it, the more you'll think about it, and then maybe you'll expand on it, and pretty soon it's a runaway train and it's all crap. There was a, a, a column in the New York Sunday Times a couple of, um, or the Sunday New York Times a couple of weeks ago, and I was just stunned by, I wrote it on a piece of scratch paper. I have a lot of scratch paper with things written all over my house. She said, words are just words. Unless they stay in your mind, then they can feel like the truth. Isn't that true? <laughs> Pretty soon we just believe our own press. I mean, thoughts can feel the same as truth if they stay there long enough. And in true thoughts are just thoughts. We made them up. The only reason they mean anything is because we believe they mean something. We just made them up. So why not make up something awesome? I mean, why not, I mean, why not make up something that feels good? Um, it's important. Truth is truth. What we believe does not alter that. I'm going to read from, I, this, I don't recall ever reading this before. I'm sure I did, because I've read this book 80 gazillion times. When everyone believed the world to be flat, they did not flatten the round world. When one man made up his mind that the world was really round, he did not resist the flat world because he knew there was no such world. He set out to sail around the world he knew to be round. Through his act of faith, he discovered the truth about the round world. The fear and superstitions of others did not deter him. The accumulated experience of the race did not blind him. The belief that the unknown oceans were filled with monsters did not frighten him. He knew the world was round, and he knew he could sail around it. And so he did. Because we can't change the truth. The truth is the truth. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what we believe, what we think. But we can believe what we believe and what we think. And much of the time, those are not the same things. So what's running on your marquee? What's on your crawl? What is that voice in your head saying? 
We need to be acquainted with that. We need to be aware of that. We need to check in and see what's going on in there. Because you exist, that divine feeling, fire, imagination, and creativity may be expressed through you. Anything that doesn't tell you that, any message that is the opposite, if you will, of that, isn't true. It isn't true. A couple of days ago, um, some of us were, a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, some of us went over to uh, Lake Oswego, New Thought Centers, and we did some paneling of practitioner candidates. Ours passed, yay. Actually, I think they, they all did. And two um, of the people that I was paneling, I was on the paneling team, they both talked about the search. They both talked, spoke um, to the concept that they had been searching for something that they felt that they had found at, um, at a religious science center, at a science of mind center. Ernest Holmes said that our search is after something great enough to lose our littleness in. I know, isn't that lovely? Because the truth is, God is not just where we are, God is what we are. We are living in and as an infinite intelligence, an energy that instantly knows the solution to any problem, which means, I, what I get from that is what that means is if it instantly knows a solution to any problem, then we're living in an energy, a universe, an intelligence that has no problem. So what's the problem? <laughs> And I've asked myself this question, and my answer is, I have seen the problem, and the problem is me. <laughs> um, part of it, I think, is our definition of what's happening. Because if things are not, this is a little saying I use for myself to remind myself to get out of my own way. Um, things are not, this is not as I wish it to be. Things are not as I wish them to be. That is my way of sort of observing my own self and, and, and taking a breath and stepping back. Um, because when things are not as I wish them to be, I view them as an obstacle. I view them as a problem. And as Albert Einstein said, we can't solve a problem with the same consciousness that created it. So what if we're stuck in the same consciousness that got us stuck in the first place? And of course... We are, because we forget who we are. We have forgotten who we are. And maybe we've made a real mess. Maybe we've made, oh my God, maybe we made a mistake of some sort. We are expressions of something that's perfect, and that perfection lives in us. And therefore, at any moment, we can stop, breathe, reboot, and start over. The only person keeping track of our crap is ourselves and maybe our moms. I don't know. <laughs> so, so what he suggests here is rather than viewing things as an obstacle or a problem, what if we viewed them as a question? What if we viewed them as an inquiry rather than a problem or an obstacle? As many of you know, um, I've been dealing for the past couple of years with something that could be definitely viewed as a problem. Um, almost two years ago, I got a phone call from my husband telling me something that was just stunning, um, absolutely stunning. And he had a medical diagnosis and a prognosis that was, um, well, was staggering. 
staggering. Uh, the C word was involved. And then shortly after that, the T word was involved. And I still remember it. I still remember the moment when he called. I remember all of it. My life completely changed then. And I knew fairly quickly that there was some stuff that I couldn't do anything about. And so what could I do? And so that is what I did. I asked, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? And the answer I got was another question. <laughs> and the question was, how much can you love this man? And so that's what I do. Because I believe that that's my assignment. <clears throat> There's some of this other stuff I can't do anything about. How much can I love this man? And I would add, how much can I love me as I walk through this? Because I don't always show up the way I wish I did. Um, because some of this, you know, this stuff is hard. And thank God I have this spiritual practice and this belief. Because I do believe that there is something that is everything, and that's me, and that's my husband. And I believe that we're fine. I believe that regardless of the outcome of all of this, that we are loved and held and cared for, and we're fine. The thing is, I have a certain outcome in mind that I would, that I would prefer. And I recognize that. I recognize that, and I accept that. And I can accept that in myself, um, because I am human after all. Holmes said that every problem has its own answer if only we can reframe it into a question. So anything that presents itself, and let's face it, it doesn't matter, in my observation, it doesn't matter what we believe. Um, stuff stuff's happens. I mean, stuff is going to happen. Because as human beings in the human experience, people do stuff and stuff happens. And rather than get all twisted about, oh my God, I'm a minister, how could I be dealing with this? It's like, no, that, no, stuff happens. And I have, I, I know stuff. I know things. I can remember, and we all, you know, we all have access to that. The thing is, we have to stay awake in order to do this stuff. We have to be able to stay awake to, to do the simplest thing, such as define something as a question rather than a problem or an obstacle, something that must be um, uh, uh, climbed over, um, which can seem pretty daunting sometimes, can it not? So what if we didn't have to do that? What if we could just ask, okay, this is what seems to be in front of me here, now what? Now what, what's mine to do here? And the thing is, this rests upon the belief that there is something that is everything that is love and that is us. Because God is not only where we are, God is what we are. And that's key. We have to, we have to remember that. We have to be willing to identify ourselves with the object of our desire. And the object of my desire is to experience and to be love. And so I identify myself with that. And when I forget, I identify myself again. Sometimes I have to put it on a name tag. So here's the thing. We can't change the truth. We can change our experience by changing what we believe to be true and by changing our thoughts. And then when we've got that down, we're free to move about the cabin. We can go, we can meet, and it doesn't mean we don't get knocked on our, took us sometimes, but it means, and that's the good news about getting knocked down is you know you can get back up again, right? So we know that we have what we need 
to deal with whatever is before us. And if we put it in the form of a question as in, uh, what is mine to do? Um, and it's okay if you say you don't know. I've never said that more often than the last two years, and I'm 66 years old. I've said I don't know 80 gazillion times. It's not comfortable, but it is what it is. Because the universe is for us. And if we believe that, and we believe that God is all there is, then we have to believe this about ourselves, we have to believe it about everybody. Our family, the people we work with, our bosses, our clients, people driving other motorized vehicles. We have to remember that, that we're in this together. Ernest Holmes said, you cannot plunge into the waters of real life unless you take everyone else with you. The universe is one system. So to me, what all of this means is that whoever we are, we show up as that. We show up as that. We do our work. You know, we do, we do our work. We do the healing and revealing that we need to do. But we don't berate ourselves in the process. And we don't make ourselves small in the process. We don't make ourselves someone else because we don't think we're enough. Because we are most certainly enough. If we are not enough, God is not enough. And that does not work for me. So rather than acting on the belief that we are lacking in some way, uh, we show up as if we have something to give. What would your life be like if every moment you showed up as your full self knowing that the universe knows exactly what it's doing and that's why you're here? You might be the answer to somebody else's inquiry. You might be the answer to someone else's question. See, I think our assignment on this planet is to show up and ask, what is mine to do? What is mine to do? And I think that's an awesome way to live. I think that's why we're here. Every single one of us is supposed to be here right now. That's our assignment. I'm going to close with, as instructed, with, I'm going to start out with the prayer of Ernest Holmes, and then I'm going to continue with whatever else shows up. There is one power, one presence, and one life. The living spirit is right where I am, within, around, and through me. I am in spirit. Spirit is in me. Spirit knows in me. Spirit sees through me, thinks in my mind, acts through my actions. This wellspring of life flowing up through me knows no obstruction, no congestion, no imperfection, no problem. There is a pattern of perfection at the center of my being, a divine and heavenly pattern of wholeness. The spirit is perfect in every part of my being. I live in peace, in joy, and in perfect life. And because I know this about myself, I know it for everyone in this room right now. Every single one of us, every single one of us, exactly where we're supposed to be. All individualized expressions of this one, which means that it's all God and yet there are no two exactly alike. Each one of us, a gift to be given. And so I affirm a willingness to inquire as to what that might look like for each one of us. Assuming that we belong here, 
that we're supposed to be here? What is ours to do? I from a willingness to sit with that, to ask that, and then to keep asking, trusting that there is a loving universe that has all the answers to any question we might ask, and that that is available to us all the time. And in gratitude for knowing that God is all there is, and that means us, I release this word, knowing that it's done, I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. And so it is, thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.